It's Friday, February 4th, and you're tuned into the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Nogan, joined by Paul Hoynes. Hoynesy, uh, I'd, I'd say we had a, a little bit of movement in the labor negotiations yesterday, but but we really didn't. Uh, it was the, the owners offering to bring in a federal mediator uh, to uh, sort of get the, to get the two sides closer. Uh, however, it doesn't sound like this is something that the players are going to be in favor of. Yeah, that's, uh, this is interesting, an interesting move by the, the owners. You know, they're the ones that declared the lockout. Now, you know, to force a settlement, an early settlement, now they can't get that early settlement. So they're bringing in a federal mediator. I mean, come on, one way, let's do it one way or the other. You know, do you believe in your own negotiators or do you have to bring in help? Well, and it's, it's a move that I guess they, they've tried in the past or that they've gone to in the past and it had sort of mixed results. Yeah, uh, in uh, 1981, they brought in uh, Kenneth Moffitt, a, a mediator, and he, um, you know, that he got the, uh, the strike done. Uh, he, they helped, he helped, uh, you know, settle the strike in midseason. Uh, after like 50 days of a work stoppage, it cost 713 games. Uh, then in, in 94, when, you know, when the, the, the players went on strike, uh, uh, Bill Clinton, the president, President Clinton brought in William Usury as a federal mediator to try to get a, a settlement. And uh, it was just, Joe, it was just a circus. I covered those negotiations in Washington, D.C. And, uh, you know, both sides claimed that usury didn't have a, a, a really a firm grip on the issues. You know, there were whispers. There was just a smear campaign on this poor guy. And uh, it was, it, you know, it didn't, you know, obviously it didn't work. I mean, it, the strikes, you know, you know, you know, canceled the World Series, canceled, you know, what, uh, you know, part of the, the 1995 season. And, uh, you know, they had to, uh, they finally brought in uh, National Labor Relations, you know, board and, and they, you know, settled this thing by going back to the old, the old basic agreement. So, you know, it was like a year and a half of strike, a World Series caught, you know, down the drain for nothing. Right. Yeah, that's the, the sort of the, the fear here is that it, it's, it's not going to sort of bring the two sides together, that this is actually going to push them even further apart and, and people are going to dig their heels in even more because uh, the, the owners might see it as a sort of a win-win. Hey, we, we, we tried to go to a mediator. Look, the, the greedy players have, have rejected that. Uh, and, and if they do go to a, a mediator here, uh, it, the, the big fear, I guess, on the player's side is that they're going to give up more than you know, what they had originally intended to give up. Yeah, and you know, uh, last week, you know, um, you know, the player, I mean, the owners, you know, dropped the hint that they were willing to, you know, lose games, regular season games here during this, you know, the the uh, 2022 season, and I think that's what we're seeing here. We're just seeing that, you know, kind of ramp up and escalate, you know, escalate, es escalate, escalation. You know, they're at, you know, they're escalating now. They're, you know, okay, we, you know, and. Uh, I just, you know, <laughs> these two parties, you know, just, you know, they've been spoiling for a fight for five years. Now they've got it and they don't know what to do with it. And only the fans suffer. 
Yeah, it's, uh, it really does seem to be uh, the, the fans who are going to lose out the most here uh, as, as we go forward. Uh, we also learned yesterday Major League Baseball uh, and Minor League Baseball actually uh, announcing that the AAA season uh, is going to expand to 150 games. It's going to start April 5th and it's going to go through uh, the, the end of September. There was September 28th, I believe, is the, the, the last date there. Uh, how does this hurt or benefit the Guardians, uh, you know, with a, an expanded AAA season and all of that minor league talent that they, they already have on their 40-man roster? Yeah, I think it, you know, it's, it's sitting, the, the original schedule was 144 games, Joe, for, for this season. So six more games isn't, you know, a big deal. But I think, you know, what a Major League Baseball learned last year when, you know, the AAA season was pushed back to May, the start of the season, is that it's nice to have, you know, your AAA team playing deep into September if you have to make, you know, call-ups or if you have poor performances or if you have to have an injury, especially, you know, since the rosters are no longer expanded to 40, you know, up to 40 players on September 1st, uh, you know, you can only expand the roster to 28 from 26 to 28 on, on September 1st now. So you've got that fresh pool of players, you know, they're game ready. They're, you, you don't have to, you know, get a guy that's been sitting on the couch for two weeks you know, in Idaho somewhere and, and bring them to, you know, a big league game. So I think that that's part of it. That's, that's really kind of the driving force behind this move. Yeah. That really helps out the pitching late in the season too. I mean, those guys haven't, haven't ramped down from the end of a season that's that, you know, stopped maybe uh, early in September. These, these guys get another couple of weeks there and you're right. Six extra games really doesn't add, you know, too much. It's, it's one more week uh, of play, but, but if you look at uh, the the forty man roster for the Guardians, you've got guys who are you know not not necessarily expected maybe to um, uh, contribute at the uh, major league level this upcoming season uh, all that much. But boy, that Columbus roster is looking pretty thin. If guys like you know Cody Morris, Connor Pilkington, Tobias Myers, Carlos Vargas, as far as pitchers go. Uh, aren't able to help fill out the rotation. And if if Gabriel Arias, Tyler Freeman, Nolan Jones, Ryan Rocchio, Jose Tena are all sidelined because they can't play because they're on the 40-man roster and they're part of the lockout, uh, it, 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 the cupboard's pretty bare over there in Columbus. <laughs> they're going to be bringing guys in off the street like uh, on 10-day contracts like the NBA or something. Right. <laughs> But but you, you think about it. These are this is the opportunity for these guys who are on that forty man roster now to to be showing you know what they can do. And uh, you, you feel bad for guys like uh, Richie Palacios, who you know by all accounts is is ready almost almost ready to make that next step to uh, to develop at the major league level. But you know it's we're, we're back to the pandemic situation again back in twenty twenty where these guys are just you know sort of in a, a holding pattern and not knowing where they're you know, their next opportunity is going to come from. Yeah, that's a great point, Joe. It's not guys like uh, Shane Bieber and Jose uh, Ramirez who are going to get hurt during this lockout. It's going to be guys like uh, Arias and, and, and Pilkington and, and all the young guys you just mentioned. Uh, those are the guys that, that get hurt because their development time, A, in the in big league camp is going to be cut down. It certainly looks like, you know, spring, 
spring training isn't going to start on time. And then if this thing, you know, you know, leaks over into the regular season, you know, they're in limbo too, you know, and, and they, you know, they're, they're going to have to be keep working out on their own. And then you come into camp, you've got to go into camp. So you're missing a big chunk of the regulars, you know, who knows, you know, but there's got, there's going to have to be at least a four week ramp up period somewhere, you know, between now and uh, whenever, you know, May, May 1st. So, and, you know, you just put those young guys in a tough spot instead of having six or seven weeks in the desert where you can learn from the veterans and see how the big leagues work, a big league camp works. And it's just, uh, it doesn't help anybody. Yeah. For a guy like Stephen Kwan, who, you know, probably the best day of his life was a couple months ago when they, they put him on the, the 40 man roster. It turns out to be a, a curse and not a blessing. Uh, because he he gets he he gets stuck he he's he's in a spot where uh, he can't move up he can't move back he he can't go and play you know with the the minor league guys and and just at least stay ready he's he's in a he's in limbo and it's it's got to be a, a gut wrenching feeling for those younger guys uh, as the the lockout continues into its third month as we hear uh, we are here in February uh, how many days eleven days until. Uh, or tw- yeah, 11 days until yeah. we're scheduled to have pitchers and catchers report. I uh, don't think that's going to happen. Um, all right, we want to uh, shift over and uh, get into our uh, Cleveland baseball personality of the day, our top 25 uh, Hoinsey's most memorable characters from 25 or from more than 25 years, 30 some years of covering uh, baseball in Cleveland. Hey, I uh, wanted to mention our subtext users have been great. Our subscribers have uh, have given us some great responses and some great uh, interactions with all of our uh, our previous uh, individuals that we've we've highlighted here on the on the podcast over the last week and a half or so. Uh, you can sign up on cleveland.com slash subtext, $3.99 a month to subscribe and get uh, basically a, a conversation going with uh, Hoinsey and myself. Uh, talk about baseball, talk about the Guardians, talk about anything. Talk about these guys that that have have made Cleveland baseball what it is over the last 35, 36, 37 years. It's it's been really great conversation, Hoinsey. I know you've you've enjoyed going back and forth with some of these guys. Uh, Cleveland.com slash subtext to sign up, or you can send a text to 216-208-4346. Again, $3.99 a month, and uh, you get access to Lindsay and myself and uh, all of the, the great stuff that we're, we're working on here uh, with Guardians subtext. All right, Paul, are you ready for our, our blind intro for today's, uh, today's subject? Let me have it, Joe. All right. He's a member of the 1988 U.S. Olympic baseball team and a first-round pick of the Indians. Uh, went on to become a three-time All-Star in 1992, 96, and 99. Uh, did have a base hit in that 1992 All-Star game, and he was the first pitcher to have a hit in an All-Star game in in over 29 years. Uh, He was uh, one of the most consistent starters for Cleveland in that stretch where they they won six AL Central Division titles in seven years. Uh, His best year was 92. He went 17 and 10, uh, 17 and 5 with a 3.41 ERA in 96. Uh, Currently ranks 10th in innings pitched and fifth in strikeouts in franchise history. He, he was one of the most popular players of the area, 
or of the era, and uh, he pitched in what 15 postseason games, including the World Series in '95 and '97. Who are we talking about, Hoinsy? It's got to be Charlie Nagy. Yeah, good old Charlie, steady Charlie, huh? Uh, <laughs> you, you, you knew one thing was for sure about uh, about the Indians in uh, the '90s, and that was. You know, every fifth day, Charlie Nagy was going to take the ball and go out there and, and give you a solid effort. Yeah, definitely, uh, Joe. He was he was fun to watch. He was consistent. And, uh, you know, his attitude never changed. You know, he was, you know, kind of a quiet guy, but uh, he always talked. You, you know, he never ducked a question. And, and, and uh, when he first broke in, John McNamara was his manager. And he... He could never remember Charlie's first name. <laughs> he kept calling him Steve Nagy because after a pro bowler that, that they, there's a pro bowler that, that rolled the first televised 300 game. He was from Pennsylvania. And I think he ended up living in Cleveland and, and Johnny Mack just kept calling him Steve all the time. And I said, I asked him once, why, why didn't you tell him your, your name is Charlie? And he, and he goes, I, I, it didn't matter to me. And he goes, he told uh, Sandy Alomar and Grover this, and they said, get out of here. There's no way that's happened. That had- so one day after Charlie pitched a good game, he's coming into the dugout, and uh, uh, John, uh, McNamara's there, and he goes, way to go, Steve, good game. And he turns and looks at Alomar and Hargrove, and they're busting up. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> but that, that was had- the kind of guy Charlie was. He, he didn't want to. If you call him some another name, he, that, that you just rolled off his shoulders. You know, it didn't bother him. I mean, on a on a bunch of teams there in that stretch that had such such big egos and such personas and whatever, he he really he really didn't have that like kind of that ego that sort of got in the way of things. It, it allowed him to go out and do the, the the consistent work that he did. Yeah, no, no, no doubt about it, and. Uh... You know, he was just, you know, he was just like one of those uh, New England guys, you know, just came in and did the job and kept his mouth shut and just kept going. And, you know, one spring, one spring in Winter Haven, he came to camp. He'd, he'd gotten into distance running mm-hmm. and uh, he lost a lot of weight for, you know, John Hart was concerned because he'd lost some weight and he looked too thin. And so Hart, you know, we, we write, we write these stories that Charlie, you know, is a little underweight. He's lo- looking thin. And he said, all of a sudden I start getting recipes from, from all the fans in Cleveland telling me how to gain weight. <laughs> and he's still the same and today. He's, he's still got the same, you know, build as he did, you know, back then today, you know, and he, right. he was always really a good athlete. He was a long snapper on his football team, Joe. Really? <laughs> He did everything. I think he was quarterback and played everything, but plus being the long snapper. So, so he, he would be the quarterback and then he would go to long snapper and, and snap out field goals and extra points. Huh? Yeah. That, that's interesting. I know that, like you mentioned, he was a runner. I, I know that he was pretty quick and uh, you know, Grover, you know, he had enter, entertained some ideas sometimes about putting him in as a, as a runner once in a while. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think he did. Definitely. Uh, I don't know if he ever pinch ran. I can't remember him pitch running in a, in a game, but you know, when they did those warrior runs, you know, the, mm-hmm. you know, the, uh, the time, uh, um, you know, the time, you know, series of sprints in spring training, you know, guys like Bayerga and everybody being complaining about it. Nagy just ran it. Like it was like nothing. It was like, uh, you know, he's back and forth, back and forth. And he was done. <laughs> but, 
Yeah, he he came, probably came in already in shape when. Uh, oh yeah, Carlos, he was, Carlos was, he was using that well. warrior run to get in shape, huh? Uh, and, uh, there was a time when you know, of course, in '97, Game Seven, you know, he he was he was it was his day to pitch. You know, he was mm-hmm. scheduled to pitch against against uh, uh, Florida, and uh, you know, Grover went with Jared Wright instead, and uh, then to make you know, kind of put salt in the wound. He comes in in the what the eleventh inning and loses it on uh, Edgar Renteria's little bouncer right off the tip of his glove into center field and they lose the World Series and right. I remember and I you know I, I I talked to Charlie the next year and you know I tried I you know I asked him like four different ways if it if it upset him he goes hey it's just one of those things he, he would not say anything but I know you know it had to be tearing him up inside and uh, uh, years a few years ago. He was sitting, uh, uh, he was, I think, I don't know if we were in winter, we were in, uh, in a, uh, yeah, in Goodyear or something. We were, you know, at a restaurant or in a bar or somewhere. And, uh, a guy came up and, uh, and told, uh, Nagy goes, Charlie, I still haven't gotten over game seven in 1997. And Charlie goes, tell me about it. (laughs) (laughs) And and that's about as, that's about as much emotion or as much of a reaction as, as you would expect out of Nagy, right? That was that was yeah, sort of just yeah. how he was. I mean, he, what what was he like on the mound? What was his stuff like? I mean, you saw it as much as as anybody from you pretty much saw all of his starts. So, uh, what was his stuff like, and how could he attack hitters? Yeah, he, you know, he didn't throw that hard. You know, he wasn't that a hard thrower, but he had great slider, great movement on his pitches, uh, kept everything down. And he was really kind of locked in, you know, he was like a guy like, like we were talking about, he pitched, if you look at his record, you know, 200 innings a year, he was, you know, he was, he was a grinder. He, 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 he pitched deep into games and, uh, you know, at the end of his career, uh, you know, he had an elbow surgery and, uh, and the doctor looked at the elbow and said, you, you don't, you don't have any cartilage left. There's right. nothing in there. And, and, and Charlie go and, he, and Charlie go and he goes. Uh, he's, Charlie said basically the guy just kind of slapped him on the shoulder and said good luck because it was bone on bone and that's that's how he pitched the last couple of years of his career and you know of course he declined but I mean he he kept going man he he went to San Diego he went down to the minors and finally you know he he said no mas but he he gave it a good shot man well and then after he after he ended up uh, you know. Uh, retiring as a player he went and uh he was the the pitching coach in um in los angeles with the angels for for several years he was uh i believe was he elsewhere i, I don't know if he was in San yeah Diego. no he was a pitching coach well he was a pitching coach at triple a for for the for the indians then he was the uh tr- pitching coach for the for the uh for the angels and then he was a pitching coach for arizona and uh there was a there was a story going around that he got fired in Arizona because he wouldn't, you know, uh, make his pitchers throw at the opposing hitters. And, uh, and, uh, but, you know, it, it turns out that, you know, Arizona hitters, Arizona pitchers hit 63 batters that year and Arizona's batters were only hit 43 times that year. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it didn't make a whole lot of sense, but what, what was really the story was, uh, he didn't get along. Gibson and Gibson was a manager. Kirk Gibson was a manager. 
Charlie was a pitching coach and they, those two didn't get along. Gibson wanted him to yell at those, yell at his pitchers and motivate them. And, you know, Charlie was telling him, listen, I'm, I'm trying to build relationships here that, that these guys will go out and pitch for us. But so those two just did not get along. They didn't clash. And if you, I mean, if you can't get along with Charlie Nagy, you're not trying, man. Yeah. It's just, you know, that's, it's just one of those things. Yeah, that, that's a you problem, not a not a Charlie Nagy problem. <laughs> yeah, uh, if yeah, the two yeah. of you don't get along, uh, I guess that's right. It's just to think about uh, all of the sort of big moments over the last, you know, 30, 38 years of, of Cleveland baseball that that Charlie Nagy was a part of. He was he was there with Mel Harder and Sandy Alomar when they threw out the ceremonial first pitch as they were, you know, building what, what is now progressive field at the time, Jacobs field or the gateway uh, construction project. I mean, he, he was on all of those rosters in that, that, that championship stretch. Uh, and then, you know, he, he comes back, he's, he's a member of the, the uh, Cleveland Indians now guardians, uh, you know, hall of fame. So a, this is a guy who, who wore, uh, you know, that, that Cleveland across his chest for uh, almost all of his, what, 12 seasons in, in Cleveland. He was, he was uh, just a, a, a huge part of what that, that great era was. Yeah, definitely. I, I'll never forget the game in, uh, against the Orioles in the 1997 ALCS. Uh, you know, Charlie had, you know, Charlie had guys on base the whole, the whole, the whole game. You know, and uh, it was a game where uh, the Indians pulled the wheel play and, uh, you know, got out of a tight situation uh, and uh, they eventually end up winning that game. But it was just, you know, just a big, just a great performance by Charlie, just, you know, a really kind of a gritty big game performance where, you know, he he kind of bent, but he didn't break. And it was, you know, and helped them get to the World Series. Yeah, you, you talk about his defense, too. That's another thing that we didn't highlight there, but. Uh, he was ranked first among uh, American League pitchers in assists and putouts and fielding percentage for for several years. I don't know, I don't think he ever won won a Gold Glove, but he no, was. I don't uh, think so, no. But he was definitely uh, a guy who could field his position and 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 really athletic. You know, just uh, the the pitchers that that Cleveland has had come through in recent years have been guys who have been really athletic, and and he was sort of the the model for that back in the the early to mid nineties. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. He was really, really a good athlete, and so was his wife. They ran together. I mean, they, they, they—that's an athletic family right there. That's great. All right, Hoynes, that's going to wrap up uh, Charles Nagy. If uh, you, if you're subscribed at, at, to Subtext and want to jump in and respond to uh, Hoynes' text that he's going to send out here in a little bit, uh, let us know your your thoughts and uh, your interactions with uh, Charlie Nagy from his time in Cleveland. We'd love to hear them uh, and put them in the post here. So uh, we will be back next week again uh, with uh, another week of shows, hopefully more to talk about in terms of uh, labor progress. And uh, as we get closer to what could be spring training, who knows? Well, uh, it's, it, it might be out there at some point. Uh, Let's hope so, Joe. Good to talk to you. We'll uh, we'll catch up with you again on Monday.